our children's message. So I want all the kids to just come on this side today. We're celebrating Lord's Supper, so that's why that uh, table is sitting over there. All right, all the children, if this is your first time here, we do a special message right now just for kids. So come on up here. All right. Everybody making their way up? Good. Come on up here. Oh, going to sit on the step. Perfect. It's good to see you guys today. So I want to do something really special with you guys today. Thanks, bud. We'll just put that right here for now. Um, you guys want to do something? You want to you do something really special with me? We need to find a treasure. Do you guys like to find treasures? Now I'm going to tell you something, okay? This special treasure is behind one of the doors in this sanctuary. Point if you see a door here. You tell me if you see any doors. There's a door. Are there, where else? Back there. Now listen, as a group, you guys have to decide which door the treasure is behind. And you only get one chance. Alright, so, there's, let me just stand and show you. So there's, there's a door there. There's four doors back there. There's one door there, and we're not going to count the ones on the platform because y'all can't go up there. Alright. So there's, there's all kinds of, just wait, just wait, just wait. So there's, there's all kinds of doors, and you only get one chance. And we need to go to a door. Now, when you go on a treasure hunt, what do you usually, what do you usually look for to find the treasure? Clues. All right, we have some people in this group that really think they saw a clue. Do y'all think that's a clue? Okay. Wait, I have to go first before everybody else. So let's all stand up. All right, now let me get in the front. If y'all go in front of me, the, there is no treasure. Oh, you're in front of me right now. Okay. Does anybody see another clue? Okay. Should we, where, which way should we go? That way? But what about the clues? We probably should follow the clue. Yeah. All right, what's, where's the next clue? Oh, don't get in front of me. Oh, you might lose out on the treasure. All right. Okay, let's go this way. Oh, now we got to make a decision. Maybe Brother Vaughn has a treasure. Where is it? Oh, don't get in front of me. Oh, you're in front of me right now. But what about this way? What if there's a treasure in that room over there by one of those doors? What if we should go that way? There's candy in there? Oliver said there's candy in that room. Oh, yeah, that's trunk or treat candy. We're not allowed to have that right now. So what do y'all think we should do? Okay, this way. Okay. All right. Oh, it's a dead end. Uh, okay, okay. Are y'all sure we're not supposed to go through those doors? Yes. yes. I really, there was coffee back there. There was coffee. There were snacks back there earlier. Okay. All right. What about this one? Is, oh, oh, you're in front of me right now. Oh, oh, that's dangerous. That is dangerous. Okay, last chance. Four doors, one door way over there. Which way should we go? This one? Are y'all sure? All right, lift your hand if you want to do this door. Okay, it looks like you guys have it. All right, so if there's a treasure back here, 
I need to appoint one person to bring the treasure out. Only one, one person. Okay, Ameline, I'm going to pick you this time. Okay. So we all are not going to run through the door because who knows what's back there. Let's see what's back. Are you sure this is the one we want to do? Okay, let's see. Uh-oh. Okay, bring it out so everybody can see it. Bring it to where we usually meet. Okay, go over here. Go over here. Okay. Bring it over here. All right, let me hold it. Thank you. All right, now. Everybody needs to listen to me just for a minute, and then you're going to get this treasure. This is the actual Bible lesson part of the, of the message, all right? Aside from really cool tozers. There are many, the world tells us that there are many different ways to know God and to go to heaven. Like the doors. There's a door there, there's four doors there, there's a door there. How do we know which is the right way? Okay, where do we find the clues? Okay, she says heart. Well, uh-oh, now we got it. Praying and that, who stole my Bible? I'm just kidding, it's right there. Oliver, where you hiding? And this book right here. This book, like those arrows, tells us where to go and who's going to take us to heaven. You know what it says in this book? You know what I'm going to talk about today? The Lord Jesus says, I'm the way, like the arrow, I'm the truth, I'm the one that will tell you the right way to go, and the life Meaning you get eternal life by following Jesus. Just like we followed the arrows to the treasure, Jesus will take us to eternal life, the real treasure, which is in heaven. All right? All right, so I think I have enough for everybody to take one and go sit down. The word of the day is heaven today, okay? Take one and go sit down. Very good job. All right, good job. You guys found it? You're doing a good job? Take one. I got enough for everyone to have one. Perfect. Thank you. All right, good job. So we've got a couple more weeks left in this sermon series called Christ-like Living. And the focus of our message over the last few weeks has been, how do I live like Christ in this culture? Right, Because God called us to stand out, to be lights in a dark place. And so the question is, how do I live like Christ in this spiritual culture? Because, you know, the culture that we live in today is a spiritual one. People are talking about and thinking about spiritual matters, even if they're not Christians. How do I know that? Well, a recent Pew uh, research study found... That 9 out of 10 Americans believe in a higher power. 90% believe in a higher power. 8 out of 10 of Americans believe in God. And then about half of those surveyed actually believe in the God of the Bible. Unfortunately, the prevailing ideas about spirituality in our culture today are contrary to what the Bible teaches us about God. So the Gospel Coalition uh, wrote an article based on a survey by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, which found that American adults today increasingly adopt a salvation-can-be-earned perspective 
In other words, they believe that faith plus works are what provides the opportunity for you to go to heaven. 48% of the people surveyed believe that if a person is generally good, if a person does good things during their life, that they'll earn a place in heaven. Almost, all, almost half of all adults associated uh, who believe that, the 48% who believe that you could earn your way or faithless works makes it possible for you to go to heaven, half of, of those uh, that believe that, uh, 46% of those that believe that were Pentecostal, 44% were mainline Protestant, 41% were evangelical, that's us. As well as new, nearly two-thirds of the Catholic 70% hold that view. While about 65% of Americans describe themselves as Christians, only half of them believe that they'll experience heaven when they die. One-third of adults, 33%, believe that you go to heaven based solely on confessing your sins and placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Among those with other views, 15% said they don't know what will happen when they die. 13% say that there is no life after death. 8% believe that they'll be reincarnated. And another 8% believe that they'll go to a place of purification before they go to heaven. A mere 2% believe that they will go to hell. And that's why I'm going to preach this message to you today. Today we're going to answer one very, very important question. How do I live like Jesus in a spiritual culture that does not believe a biblical gospel? We do that simply by placing our faith in Jesus alone for salvation and helping others do the same. So if you have a Bible, turn it to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. John 14, verse 1. Over a meal, shortly before he was crucified, Jesus had a meal with his disciples. During this time, he washed their feet, he declared his love for them. And then he described in detail how one of them would betray him. As he shared this news, Jesus was saddened. Rightfully so. It also confused his disciples. After Jesus said these things, Peter, who is often the one to stand in front of everybody else and make a declaration, right? That was Peter. We have any Peters in here? Are you the one that everybody pushes to the front? Also the one that has to put your foot in your mouth once in a while? Some of you are like him, and that's what he did. He was the one the disciples kind of shoved to the front. He was the one that would stand and declare things, and oftentimes Jesus would have to give him uh, some discipline and correct his thinking. Peter fulfills his role perfectly. After Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, Peter goes to Jesus and declares that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And after he said this, Jesus promptly told him that you will deny me three times. This must have troubled the disciples greatly. Now Jesus responds to their sadness. So it's interesting that shortly before Jesus would go to the cross, 
He cared so much about his disciples. Even in those moments before he would die, he still took the time to teach them and pour into them because he knew that their part of the mission was important. So now Jesus provides this teaching. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, Jesus is no stranger to a troubled heart. His heart was troubled in the moments before he rose Lazarus from the dead, primarily due to the people's lack of faith and misunderstanding who he was. He was troubled when he considered his death on the cross. He was also troubled at Judas's betrayal. Now at this time, the disciples were also troubled. If Peter, one of the strongest, most outspoken, most faith-filled men of the group, could fall away, how would the rest of them react? Jesus' statement is also prophetic in nature. The disciples will experience more, much more emotional and spiritual turmoil in the next 48 hours as they watch their Savior beaten, arrested, and crucified on a cross. In preparation for that, Jesus tells his disciples not to be worried. He tells them not to allow the current and future circumstances to overwhelm them. During their current and future devastation, Jesus tells them what to do. Look at verse 1. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What does that mean? It means keep on believing in God. Keep on believing what God has given you here And what they understood, what they had during that time is the Old Testament. The proclamation of God's love and of his covenant and of the future Messiah who would one day come. Not only believe in the Father and his promises, Jesus says, but believe also in me. Believe in who Jesus is. The one sent from God, the Son of God, the Messiah for whom Israel waits, waited. Jesus says, keep on believing that. Even during this apparent chaos and confusion, Jesus reminds them to have faith in God's sovereignty. Have faith that his ultimate purpose will be fulfilled. In other words, they need to trust in Jesus that everything will work out. Remember, Jesus proclaimed these words just a couple days before he would be arrested, beaten, and crucified. So as he gives them this news, he reminds them, you need to keep trusting in God. You need to keep trusting in Jesus. A while back we did a, a men's event, and we watched a documentary called Free Burma Rangers. It's about this Christian ministry uh, mostly retired uh, military personnel that um, started their ministry in uh, modern-day Myanmar and, and Burma, as you may recognize it. Um, there are a lot of persecuted people groups in Myanmar. Um, many were being slaughtered by uh, the government there. And so they started a ministry 
Uh, many of them were army rangers, the ones that started it. Uh, they went over there just as a group of Christians to go in and take the persecuted people and remove them from that area to save their lives. Now, they're believers, too, so they would go and save them and share the gospel with them, and that was their ministry. But they literally went into the front lines. In one part of the movie, uh, they were uh, in an area, and they were surrounded by snipers. And there was uh, just a couple of young people sort of on the other side of this building that they needed to go get. They, They couldn't move because snipers had surrounded them, and they were literally just trying to pick them off. And so they knew that they could get them if they went through this one sort of office building, one particular room, which was surrounded by sniper fire. Now the snipers didn't know that they were there, so they were safe. But they knew they had to go through that room to get to the, the uh, I think it was a mother and a, a child, on the other side of that room. And the only place to go was through that room. Now it just so happens that that room was full of aluminum cans. I saw it in the video. They showed it. Think of a whole room, four feet deep, in aluminum cans, surrounded by snipers. And you have to walk through that room to get two people on the other side and then take them back through the room to save their lives. Right? Could you think of a louder way to get kids than to walk through a room full of aluminum cans? Isn't that crazy? And they knew that God wanted them to do that, and they were prepared to die for it. So they stopped in the movie, and they prayed, and they go through that room. They walked through a room four feet deep in aluminum cans, and not one sniper shot at them. And while they were in that space, that's, the snipers could have seen them, they could have heard them, they walk through the room, they get the mom and the child, and they drag them back through the room full of aluminum cans. Now that's faith, Right? Faith in God to fulfill God's mission. Walking through a room full of aluminum cans with snipers above you. We, like those Burma Rangers, are a people called by God to walk by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Those men knew that God wanted them to walk through that room of cans to save those people. So by faith, they walked through there and they did it. We, like them, are called by God to be a people of faith. Faith means believing things that you don't see. Trusting in God, having assurance that he'll fulfill his promises to you and in your life, especially through Jesus Christ. As Christians, everything on which we base our life is uh, based on the conviction of things not seen. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Primarily, our belief that God became a man. A man who lived 2,000 years ago. Who lived a perfect life. Who died on the cross for our sins. Who was buried in the ground and rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. And now stands and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And that one day, that man, Jesus, will come back and take us home to be with him in heaven. That is the foundation of our life. The foundation of our faith. 
And now, like the disciples, as we live in a culture that doesn't believe in Jesus nor follow the word of God, we are called to be a people who walk by faith. Faith in something we've never seen. But still we walk by faith. And Jesus compels us today to believe in God and believe also in him. To be a people who walk by faith. So how do we live like Jesus in this spiritual culture? First thing we need to do is we need to continue to believe in Jesus. And to continue to place our faith and trust in him. Well, what does Jesus do for us? What did he promise us? He promised us a lot of things. One of the most important things he promised us is that he will go before us and make a place for us in heaven. Look at the next verse in John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Jesus continues to prepare his followers for what will very soon take place. The circumstances surrounding Jesus' death is going to test his disciples' faith. Think about it. When Jesus was illegally tried, when he was arrested and beaten, when he was executed and buried, and his body was dead in the ground, the disciples were stricken with grief and surely were asking, What now? Our rabbi is dead. They are orphans without a leader. But when Jesus leaves... When he dies, when he's buried, and he rises again and then ascends to be at the right hand of the Father, what he tells them is, I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to make ready a place for you with the Father in heaven. And we're reminded as believers living today 2,000 years later that Jesus has gone before us. And he's prepared a place for you in heaven. And one day he'll return. To take you home. The disciples already know all about this place and the way and what Jesus planned to do for them because he's been telling them about it for three years. They wouldn't, however, really understand what Jesus was teaching them until shortly after the Holy Spirit would come. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the Spirit comes. He fills the disciples. Peter stands before the people of Jerusalem and proclaims the gospel. And I believe it's at that moment they really understood what Jesus meant. Because now they start to teach it to other people. Now they start compelling people to turn from their sin and to place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Once they figured that out and started to proclaim it, you see the miraculous movement of God in the book of Acts. First the formation of the church, and then the expansion of the gospel all around the world. 
You know, I don't know what you came from when you came into this place today. I don't know all of you real well. I do know that we come through those doors carrying burdens, right? And many of you are probably burdened today. Well, Jesus has the same message for you today that he had for his disciples in those moments before his crucifixion. And his message to you is this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust Jesus in the midst of your difficult circumstances. You have been adopted by God the Father. And our Lord Jesus has gone ahead and is preparing a place for you. The great news is there's space in heaven for everyone. And the question that every single person on the face of this earth has to answer is, am I going to heaven? You know, people generally think about that question at the end of their life. You know, whether they're sick with an illness or have an accident or even are around someone that is, is dying, that's when people start to ask that question. And I've had the, the tremendous honor, the blessing, and the opportunity to sit at the bedside of many of your families, uh, loved ones, friends, people in this community. I can tell you that's something that blesses my heart. You wouldn't think that there would be joy next to the bedside of someone who's dying, but there is. I've sat next to those beds. I've prayed with those people and their families. And you know where the real blessing comes? Is when I look into the eyes of a person who's preparing to die, who knows that they'll probably die in the next hour, two hours, 24 hours. When I sit next to the dear, sweet saints who love Jesus, and look right at me, look right into my eyes and tell me that they're ready to go home. In those moments before their death, they can feel Jesus drawing them home. And they look right, right in my eyes, right into my heart and tell me they're ready to go. That they know that Jesus has gone before them. And that they know in the next few moments, the next few hours, that they're going to go meet Jesus. And that's what Jesus tries to communicate to his disciples here. And that's what I want to tell you today. That no matter what you walk through, no matter what kind of difficult circumstance you have, there, there's a gospel message, there's a joy that, that both saturates and supersedes every single circumstance that you walk through in life. That in this moment, if I were to die, that I know I have full assurance that I'll go to be with Jesus in heaven. And what does that give us? A joy in the midst of every single circumstance. Do you want to go to heaven? God desires for you to be there with him. But you have to have a relationship with Jesus. You know, the world is asking questions like this. Why do I need a relationship with Jesus? 
why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Right when I, when I did this exercise with the kids, this was the door they had to walk through to get the treasure, right? And I kept asking them, what about these doors over here? What about this door, right? Why don't we walk through that door to get the treasure? Why don't we try the foyer? I saw some things back there that were pretty appealing. Let's go to the foyer. But the kids stuck to the signs, right? The arrows. The world communicates that, that any of those doors are fine. You just pick your door, you walk through it, it's great. And by the way, you don't tell anybody else that there's only one door. But the Bible very clearly communicates that there is only one way to peace with the Father, one way to heaven, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only door. He's the only way to heaven. Now the world is asking, why, why is there only one way? Now let's talk about that for a minute. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, you guys know Thomas, right? It would stink to have your nickname as being Doubting Thomas. In the end, right, he was a man of faith, right? He, he believed in Jesus, but it kind of stuck, so that's who he is. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Now, Thomas's question is one that people have been asking for centuries. I think Thomas and the disciples kind of miss the boat at this point in this amazing teaching because they don't yet understand what Jesus is saying completely. So Jesus is talking about going to a place. And that, that Jesus is the one that's going to go ahead of them. He's going to provide a place for them. And so Thomas, like, he kind of states the obvious. Like, like, Jesus, you said we know the way. But we don't even know where you're going. Like, are we going back up to Galilee? You know, are, are we headed west? Maybe west in the Roman Empire? Are we going sailing? We don't, we don't even know the destination. If we don't know that, how are we going to know how to get to the destination where you're going? So he asked this really basic question. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus just did one of these. You guys, if you're a parent, you've done this before. Right? You stare off into space, maybe shake your head. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say that he, that, if, that he did do that, but I probably would have if I was there, right? This is like the climax of everything Jesus has been teaching him for three years. He tells him, I'm, I'm the way, like I'm going to go ahead of you. Don't, don't be troubled, don't worry, I'm going to take care of everything. Thomas is like, where are we going? We don't even know where we're going, how are we going to get there? Maybe he was the navigator, he was very confused. So Jesus tells them again how to get to heaven, right? Jesus draws everybody back in. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right, so these guys are talking about directions to somewhere in the Middle East. Jesus brings it back in to a spiritual truth. So I want to spend the remainder of our time together just looking at verse 6. Because Jesus says four things there that are really important for us. First he says, I'm the way. Jesus is the one who provides reconciliation between God and man. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
The fact of the matter is, is we've sinned against a holy God and, and our sin separates us from God. We're, we're, we're enemies of God. Before Christ, we didn't want God. We didn't love God. We didn't seek after God. God sought after and called us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And the goal of that was to reconcile us, the broken sinner, with our Creator, God the Father. Jesus is the way to God. The way. Not a way. The way. Second, Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus reveals and illuminates God's truth to us. In fact, he's the embodiment of truth. John 1, 4, 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 John 5, 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Christ Jesus. This is the true God and eternal life. There is only one God, and his Son's name is Jesus. And Jesus is the only way to reconciliation with that God. And everything that that Jesus says is the truth. Jesus revealed a lot of truths while I walked on this earth, but the primary important truth that I want to talk about today is the gospel truth. The foundation of our faith as Christians is the truth of the gospel. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in his great love for us sent his son. His son's name is Jesus, was a man who lived 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect life fulfilling God's law. He gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross, his blood was poured out on that cross as an atonement or an offering for our sins. While he was on that cross, he received God's wrath for our sins on our behalf. He died on that cross and he was buried in the ground. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures, conquering death and sin and Satan's control over all who would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the truth of the gospel. When it says that Jesus is the truth, that's the truth that he means to communicate to you and to me primarily. The gospel truth. He is also the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He provides us with eternal life in heaven through the regeneration of our soul. Now what is that about? John 1.4 says... In him was life, and that life is the light of men. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. We receive eternal life after death because when we hear the gospel and repent of our sin and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, in that moment the Holy Spirit comes into us and makes us to be born again. That means the Bible says we're a new creation. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. 
Titus 3, 5, and 6 says he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, listen, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because Jesus is the way to uh, reconciliation with God, the truth about our sin and the good news of salvation and the life that provides regeneration of our soul and eternal life, he is also the only one qualified to be our Savior. And thus he concludes in John 14, 6, No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. That message from Jesus is exclusivistic and succinct and clear. There is no other pathway to heaven and reconciliation with God except through Jesus Christ. I don't know how much clearer he could be. There are no other doors to heaven. There is one door, Jesus. The one single way to heaven. Jesus isn't a way. He is the way. Jesus isn't a truth. He is the truth. Jesus isn't a life. He is the life. No one else is qualified to be your Savior except Jesus. Amen? Now some of you are probably saying, I'm saved. I know the gospel. What about me? What, what is Jesus calling me to do? True belief in Jesus' teaching necessarily leads to action. Jesus left no room for us to say, I believe this, and yet I'm going to do something else, right? He said, if you're really his follower, guess what you're going to do? You're going to follow him. In fact, he said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So being a Christian, being a believer and a follower of Jesus is more than just a decision that you make in a moment of time. It begins in that moment of time by a decision that you make by God's grace through faith in Jesus. But there's something we do after that as followers. First, we decide every day to believe in Jesus. Having faith in Christ in this culture is not something that comes about easily, right? We live in a fallen world. It's not easy to follow Jesus. You've got to decide every day. No, today I choose to follow Jesus. When I get up, and I talk with my family and my friends, I'm going to follow Jesus. When I go to work, I'm going to follow Jesus. When I watch TV, I'm going to follow Jesus. When I go on the internet, I'm going to follow Jesus. Is Jesus leading me to do this, to say this, to think this? When we decide to follow Jesus, we're also going to study and obey his word. I'm just going to tell you, we're a stiff-necked people just like the Israelites, right? Like, we like to do what we like to do. Right, Will? 
If you don't believe me, just ask someone who knows you really well. And they'll tell you the truth. We need to decide, we need to make a choice to study this thing, the Word of God, and to obey it. As followers of Christ, as born-again believers who believe the gospel, making that decision in that moment of time is, of course, of utmost importance. But it doesn't end there. Following Jesus is a daily decision we make every day to study his word and to obey it. And then finally, we decide to serve the kingdom. We're gifted by God's spirit with resources and skills and spiritual gifts. And as followers of Christ, we're called to serve the kingdom. We are here for one purpose, and that's God's mission, the Great Commission, to go out into that place out there, that culture, to proclaim the gospel, to help others hear and believe what we have heard and believed, to do good works in the name of Jesus so people would see those good works and give glory to God. And that's our mission as a church, and that's what we're called to do. You know, shortly before Jesus was crucified, uh, he had this special supper with his disciples, and we're going to celebrate that today. We call it the Lord's Supper. It's something that Jesus left the church as a reminder of who he is and what he did for us on the cross. As well as for us to celebrate remembering that one day he will return. Because, right, there are days when that's all we got to hold on to in this world, right? That one day... Jesus is coming back, right? And he's going to make everything right again. And so today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, the Bible says that we don't do that lightly. It's not something we, we take lightly. It's something we prepare for. So here at Fifth Street Baptist Church, we invite all born-again believers to celebrate this. If you're not a Christian, we ask you to abstain. But as Christians, we also do this with the right heart. So in a minute, I'm going to invite our um, deacons and our ushers to come forward to distribute the elements. And as we're distributing those elements, I'm just asking you, as Paul told the Corinthian church, that we need to make our hearts right with the Lord. It's time for us to repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a time for us to make things right with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as we distribute these elements, just take this time to pray and prepare your heart for what Jesus did for us on the cross and remembering that one day he'll return to take us home. So I'm going to invite all those who are distributing the elements to come forward now.
First, let's take the bread. he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. And now the juice. After the supper has ended, had ended, he took the cup and said, this is my blood, the new covenant. Do this in memory of me. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're so thankful for you and what you've done for us on the cross through Jesus. We are thankful for his shed blood, which was an atonement for our sin. We celebrate today his resurrection and we long for his return to take us home. Help us to live by faith in you and each day to arise trusting in you, our Lord, for all things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to invite everybody to stand now. We're going to have our time of invitation. This is an opportunity for you to respond to however God's at work in your life. If you need to come forward for prayer, the altar will be open here. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, to join this church, to be baptized, whatever God's doing, this is your time to respond by faith. Uh, feel free to come down front here and we'll pray with you and encourage whatever that decision is. Faithfulness in it.